Hello, you guys, and welcome to the Daily Slay Show, where we come together to slay your life. I'm Jamie King, aka The Slay Coach, and I am a mom of three with anxiety and ADHD who's built a multi-seven-figure business without a college degree. I'm here to slay in the trenches with you. I'm not here to fix you. I'm here to help you fix yourself. Now, I am on a mission to document progress, not perfection, and to share the messy in between in hopes to help you make your mess your message. Now, I can't promise that every day will be a win, but I can promise that the only way for you to lose is to quit. So if you can commit to yourself, I promise to commit to you here. Let's do this and let's slay 2023. You guys, I am so excited about this talk today. I cannot wait to introduce you to Debbie Godfrey, the godmother, the fairy godmother of positive parenting. I mean, I'm not kidding. I feel like this woman has been doing this work before it was new age or attachment parenting was super trendy and has been a godsend. We're going to use God a lot. Godfrey, godsend, (laughs) the mother of positive parenting. Um, And also has the, I believe, testimonials to back it up in her own life. I am friends with her daughter, who is an incredible human being. Um, And just witnessing your process with your grandchildren and with your daughter as an older parent now of older kids, and then being able to help the next generation of parents incorporate positive parenting. Um, Like I say, like I used to lose my shit a lot on my kids before Debbie. And so if you are a mom or (laughs) someone who lacks the patience or maybe the nervous system to deal with high needs children or toddlers or anything else, you're in the right place. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here, Jamie. And I appreciate your compliments. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Seriously, you've changed my relationship with all of my kids and, um, and I feel like it's just simple. Um, the, the, the tips you give, the, it's practical, it's um, actionable, and it's not just, here's what I wish people knew about doing this work or getting educated around doing this work. It's not for your children. It's not just for your children. Like It makes your life so much easier. And I think parents think, or at least I had like, oh, I wish I had time to commit to like learning about how to be a more positive parent or learning how to, you know, deal with issues in the home with my kids. And I feel like it felt like, oh yeah, I need to get around to that. But I never made it a priority until I saw it in real time. Um, You worked with my daughter and I was like, so super helpful at one of our events. And I was like, oh my God, wow, that's incredible. I need to talk to this girl. Um, And it's like one of those things that gets put to the back, like, oh, I'll, I'll work out later or I'll, I'll work on my relationship with my kids later. And we think it's like, oh, this is for the kids. I, I'm doing this to, to raise them better so that they have, it's actually everything that you have taught me and that I have learned in just watching your process and being around you has helped me get time back in my life because I'm not having hours long arguments or fights or like, it really is the biggest time saver because when there is a conflict, I'm able to communicate with my kids and resolve it so much faster. 
and we don't have dinner nights that are ruined or we don't have to cancel plans because there's this big emotional, like it has saved me so much time in my life and, and not having, and not just the fact that it is, I am raising children better than I was before. Um, there's many other benefits to that. So can you maybe explain just your backstory a little bit of how you got into this work? Um, cause you've literally owned the original domain of positive parenting. <laughs> Would you buy it in the 1700s? I mean, <laughs> into this work because literally it's life-changing. Yeah, it's, um, it, yes, I got in a long time ago. I'll talk about that in a second. But one of the things as you were talking that came to my mind was a, um, a little mantra that a bunch of us had back, back in the day when I was starting my business and doing things. And it was with your kids, like make them part of your team. Don't sacrifice them for your dream because we're talking to entrepreneurs and things like that yeah. here. It just seems so important to me that as a working mom and especially an entrepreneurial working mom, that you figure that out. I mean, there is no balance. Like there's just no <laughs> it's just chaotic craziness all the time. And it's a matter of making sure that your children feel loved and seen and heard throughout the process and not sacrificed at the altar of you, you know, making the world a better place. Me making the world a better place. Like I can't sacrifice right. my kids and do that with integrity. And so that's the that's the fine line that we're always walking as, as entrepreneurs is, is figuring that out. And, you know, early on, I just had a lot of stuff I did that incorporated my kids. You know, they helped me put labels on the newsletter. I used to send out 3000 newsletters and we would all sit there and stick stickers on and, you know, we would pass out flyers and go places and just not forcing them to do it, but encouraging them like, yeah, this is cool. And Brianna used to draw, do tons of art for me. I still have a lot of things, you know, positive parenting and all these really cool little art things. And, you know, it's just, that's the part that makes it worthwhile and valuable and, and everything is to make sure that relationship is nurtured. So how I got into this was 30 plus years ago, I was in a battered women's shelter and I had my three young kids and um, I had my first parenting class in there and they said, you can't, spank your kids in here. And I'm like, what, how am I going to discipline them? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, you know, you're in a shelter for violence. Like you can't hit your kids. Right. And most of us just don't compute or equate those things because, yeah. you know, spanking is discipline and whatever, but there is an element of force and control and they're trying to help us see that connection. And so I had, there was a, a gal in there that help me. And she's like, okay, if you think you need to spank one of your kids, come get me and we'll, we'll talk about it. And so like every couple of hours, I'd be like, Abby, he's doing this and this and this. I know I need to spank him now. And she's like, calm down, let's talk about it. And every time we'd come up with these super creative, amazing solutions that taught my kids how to behave better, do better, be better. And I didn't have to spank them. Like it was, yeah. it was just more sane. And so that was like the little seed. And when I got out of that shelter, I actually hired Abby and started a parenting breakfast club. And we would have her come out to the house and buy coffee and donuts. And she would um, come and do a little talk. And I mean, that's where it started. And then, you know, just a whole process of things to where I um, started my business in July of 1994. So I took a training to teach parenting classes and started my business. And 
that's it, that's when I got my website is in 1994, 1995. Yeah. So that's why I have it. <laughs> I mean, there's a clip from 93 on the Today Show. In 93, when Al Roker, or no, who is it? Um, Bryant Gumbel is saying to Katie Couric, what is internet? So in 93, <laughs> on the Today Show, they were saying, what is internet? And by 94, you're like, got the domain. <laughs> right. And I mean, I remember, I remember back then, like being, you know what? I just telling my partner, like someday everybody's going to have their email address on their business card. Like this is something way out in the future, you yeah. know? <laughs> That was so forward thinking, like for 1994 to, to like have the mental fortitude to just think, see ahead and say, this is going to be a thing one day. And like, yeah, when, when we started working together, I was like, you really own the domain for positiveparenting.com. <laughs> like that would be like a $30,000 domain if you were to go buy it now and you'd have to like buy it from somebody else. And, and yeah, so like the OG of one of the OGs of this industry, um, you were doing this, you know, before it was more social media trendy, um, you know, like attachment parenting, compassionate parenting. And so I think what a lot of my listeners often struggle with if they're moms and listening is that myth of balance. And we talked about this on a previous episode with another, um, with Hillary that I interviewed about, like, there is no balance. It's right constant back and forth of trying to find the balance, but I don't know that balance is ever achieved. So what would you say for the working moms that are dealing with like maybe mom guilt or trying to be in all the places all the time and feeling like they're doing none of it well? Yeah. And I think this relates to what you were saying about our work in this and that if you're being triggered or if your kids are pushing your buttons, that's your own work to be healed. And I don't like to just tell people like, oh, you need to go do therapy or you need to get counseling or whatever. Um, I do a lot of exercises, you know, in my classes and people come to that realization on their own. It's like, oh, this isn't about my kids. This is about me. And if you're at that place where you realize my triggers are my own. Yeah. My kids are causing it, but this is my work to do. Then I think you can really um, do the deeper spiritual work, which is what am I here to learn from these children or this child, you know, and what is this child here to teach me? And I think when you come at it from that space, the relationship flourishes, even when you have a super difficult child. I mean, even when you have a child with you know, special needs, or even if you have a child who's has a lot of behavioral challenges, that purposefulness, when you see I'm here to learn, I'm here to teach. My child's here to learn, my child's here to teach, and we're perfect. And especially with the children that are hardest, like the most challenging, that's where this is so purposeful. And this is true, whether these are your birth kids, or if you've adopted them, or if you're fostering them, it is no accident that a child is in your realm. I mean, that is, there's, there's a point that we take these, these children in our hearts and, and in our, in our lives and in our domain. And so that purposefulness, I think is, is the key to climbing out of the the hellhole of, you know, yeah. of like, Oh, misery. I hate, why do I, ha- who gave me yeah. this kid? And why, you know, 
<laughs> send them I back. Think, <laughs> I think what often I used to think as parent, as a parent who was also running a business and I would bring my kids along for the ride or they would be at some of my events. And this is a moment that I'll remember forever is how you handled how you helped Jocelyn in, when she had a like emotional breakdown at one of my events. And I was also emotionally struggling. I was dysregulated. She was dysregulated. I was in the middle of hosting you know, our three-year anniversary party and had you know, 30, 40 guests around. Um, and I was like, in my head, I'm going, why are you doing this to me right now? Right. We take it as a personal like attack. And she's, I don't know, 13 at the time. I mean, this is probably three years ago. So she was 13 or 14 at the time. And I don't even remember what she wanted to do something. And I think I said no. And, and I don't even remember the reason by it or about it now. Cause it's so distant, but in the moment it was very dramatic and it was very like, ah, thank God Debbie to the rescue was there at that event. And and I saw how you spoke to her and then you were compassionate when you spoke to me. And I think that's what a lot of moms need is they need to know that what they're feeling is okay and that they felt that way or that they feel like it's a personal attack, but here's how you could see it differently. I think how you validated me in that moment and validated her, you were able to see both sides of it. And I think where a lot of advice in parenting comes from a very preachy place and you do such a good job of like giving examples or how about this? Or have you thought about trying this? What would you say to a mom who is like, oh, feels like it's an attack when their kids are misbehaving or, or how can you help maybe a mom reframe that situation when their kid acts out in public and they're like, oh, why are you doing this to me right now? Yeah. I mean, and of course it would depend on the circumstances and remembering that it's not, it's not in any way an attack on you. Like the child is in their own child world. They're having whatever kind of meltdown, upset, feeling not seen, heard, or understood. And it doesn't have anything to do with you. And it has everything to do with you. I mean, the walking that paradox of how important we are in our children's lives and how much they have their own process as well. I mean, that's, that's the paradox that we walk as parents. Like we we're so necessary and we're trying to make ourselves unnecessary (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, the beauty of letting a child unfold and be who they are, you know, we want to sometimes lessen our influence and knowing and learning how to walk that line, I think is, is super, super important. And realizing all behavior has a purpose. So if your child is upset, like I look at a, I looked at Jocelyn, you know, in her upset and going, this kid has needs that aren't getting met. You know, she needs to feel loved or valuable or special or feel like she has a place or whatever it is. And that doesn't mean that you're not providing that for her like that. It just means she's experiencing her world in that way. And what children are actually doing is misinterpreting what we're saying and what we're doing. So you're at an event, you're like all these people and kid says, I'm going to be the center of the world right now. And you're like, no, you're not saying I don't love you or you're not important or you don't matter. You're just saying I'm busy and I'm doing my work. That's it. I mean, I can do a story. There's no hidden agenda of trying to 
hurt your child in that. But children misinterpret things mm-hmm. that we say and things that we do yeah. all the time. And we have to mm-hmm. know our kids and the and the places where they can misinterpret that. And so often it's it is around attention, like attention. being seen. Yeah. Or I know another one, yes, and that was like I think that's what you helped me understand too, is I got nervous or I got like, I felt like, oh, what did I do wrong? Now she's crying and throwing a fit. People are going to think I'm a bad mom. Oh my gosh. You know, like we judge ourselves in a public setting when our kids act out or we judge our own parenting. And when really it's just a disconnect and a misunderstanding, just like in adults, like we have that with adult relationships all the time. I just when it's your child, you're you're the, in that moment, the cause of their pain and the only person who can fix Heal it, them. whether you intentionally cause pain or not. Right. Um, I know another problem that a lot of moms, including myself, still struggle with is I'm so much better with it now, but being like setting boundaries and telling a kid no and explaining like why it's a no, we're not going out to eat tonight or no, we are not going to buy that toy or no, we're not going to. Cause I know a friend I was talking about when she tells her daughter, no, she goes, why? Ah! And starts throwing a fit immediately. Every time you tell her a remotely no about anything. So what, what are some like tactical, practical tips or strategies when, you know, kids of, you know, five and up reasonable, you know, starting to understand reason, what can you do to like, set better boundaries and, and tell them no without a, a big explosive breakdown. Yeah. Well, the first thing is to process your answer before you answer, because very often we'll say no to something and then they'll change our mind and we'll say yes, because it was something reasonable and something that we could do. And what that does is it undermines our no, it, mm-hmm. you know, our, our no becomes Oh, well, if, you know, if she says no to me, all I have to do is convince her a little more and she'll change her mind so that when we do need to stick with our no, they don't believe us or trust us. So the first thing is process. You know, they want to do something, even if you have an immediate yes or no in your head, don't answer immediately. Take a deep breath. Ask yourself, is this a yes? Is this a no? Like process it through your own mind. And if they're pushing you for an answer, Michelle used to do this to me all the time, my middle daughter. It's like, tell me, tell me, tell me. It's like, if you need an answer right now, the answer is no. If you give me 10 or 15 minutes to like think about this and figure out all the different things, it might be yes. It might be no. I don't know. But I need the time to to think about this. So you want to be super certain that the no is necessary and justified. Yeah. Because there's so many things it is so easy to say yes to the kids about. And when I, when it is a yes for me and I've processed it that quickly, I, I, you know, I'm like, yes, you can have that. And it's like, whoa, you know, they get super excited and they learn, like, they don't have to break you down to get every little need met. And so that invests a lot of support and understanding so that when you do need to say no, they're much more likely to be respectful of it. So then when you need to say no, you want to, I, I go to a place of compassion. Like, I know this is very disappointing and you don't want to hear this. And, you know, I'm not willing to do that. Like, this isn't something we're going to do. I don't like to give a lot of explanation because they, 
like salespeople, they use that to argue that against me. us. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I like to, if, if it's truly a no, I'm just no. And I, I feel it in my heart. Cause I remember, especially with the teenagers, I remember being a teen and having no power, no ability to make decisions. Like I could, I just, all I wanted to do was run my own life and everybody else was telling me what to do. And I just remember how, how bad that was. And so I try to go to a super important deep place of understanding. Like I get this, I know this is a bummer for you and, um, you know, and, and we're not going to do it. And if they give me pushback, I just nod my head, you know, I stay in my heart, I take bright breaths and I just stay with them. And maybe there's another give I can provide if I have one, but I, it's not necessary. All you parents, okay, it is good to say no to your kids for stuff, especially if you're setting a boundary around your time or Mm -hmm. something that's important to your well-being. Often we self-sacrifice as moms, as parents, we (laughs) run ourselves into the ground and we weaken ourselves in service of these kids. And that actually is so counterproductive. So not only does that role model for them not taking care of good care of myself, but mm-hmm. it also creates kids who feel entitled to your very life blood, yeah. <laughs> which they are not. They are not entitled to that. No, <laughs> so, I agree. Yeah. So that's what I like to do is set a boundary with a lot of compassion, a lot of understanding, but a no is a no. And I want to be really clear when I say that. And, and that way they respect it. And, and I do this with the grandkids too, because I still get what you're talking about with the grandkids, blah, 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 blah. And I want this and I want that. And, nah, nah, nah. and you know, yeah. when it's a no, I'm super clear and I'm super calm and they know there's just no arguing with that. I'm smiling. Yeah. I'm being loving. I, <laughs> I grew up in a household where everything was up for negotiation because my mom just wanted to shut me up and I would have a counter and I was super logical and I would always come from a place of... Gosh, I was such a negotiator. I should have been a lawyer. Like I was such <laughs> a master negotiator. I would bring up evidence from, well, there's this was the time when you said yes, 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 and yes, I need consistency in parenting. Can you please make it come up what the rule is? I would like throw the most awful bombs at my mom. I was like, so um just I'm just very logical. Everything in my brain, I don't know if it's because I'm mildly autistic I'm finding and, you know, ADHD and like I focus on logic and fact and it's very important to me. Science and facts were always super important to me. And like, so when my mom would say something, if it didn't logically, if it was because I said so and it didn't have a logic attached to it, I always had a problem as a child with the, because I said so. And so I get the not needing to over explain yourself. But is it helpful to kids like like how I was to like give some type of background or explanation or brief explanation? Like when, I guess, when to know when to explain? Because I feel like sometimes I over explain because of how I needed to hear things as a kid. Like I needed logic and explanation. And so maybe that's why I over give it now. But yeah. When's a good example of when to do that or when not to explain? Right. And there's, it's actually very good. And you get the, you get feedback from the kids. So with a, with a kid like you, when you do the explaining, 
you'll be like, oh, okay, I get that. And you'll be more respectful. And maybe you'll have another argument because you're super smart and all that. But you'll you'll respect the logic and the reasoning. And life will continue to progress. When you have a kid that is doing it to manipulate the salesperson and doing it to figure out how to change your mind, they're just manipulating you. Then when you start to explain yourself, they'll either have a fit or they'll start an illogical argument or yeah. they'll they'll just go in a direction of more misbehavior, not less. And yeah. that's when you know it's time to pull back, set your boundary and just stick with it as quietly as you can. And so you have to know your children, like yeah. each one and which ones do better with which type of response. And parents do tend to over-explain. One yeah. of the things that I, I gauge is, is this kid even listening to me? You know, are they taking the time to listen? And if they're not, I don't talk. I'm not going to sit there and right. lecture and, you know, the whole saying, throwing pearls to swine. Like, no, I'm not giving you my time and my, my intelligence and my thoughtfulness and the love that I have, not, not that I'm not giving you love, but the, the explanations and all of that, I'm not giving that to you unless you're receiving it. Right. You know, you're just tuning me out and, you know, just disregarding me, forget it. And that's where I think a lot of parents also misjudge is to continue to push their narrative (laughs) on an unreceptive child. So I pull back, and I'm like, you know, I have a lot to say about this. And if you if you're interested in hearing it, I'll be available. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, and I just I just pull back. And sometimes I like make them beg me to talk to them. You know, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like I'm super loving, and you can get everything in the world from me. Like I want to support you. I want to be your cheerleader. I'm your backstop. I'm yeah. I'm everything. And you need to treat me with respect, and you need to be appreciative of the things I do, or I'm not interested or willing to do it. So. When you're in a space of mind to to treat me, I don't expect like to be you know bowed to or anything. Just the bare minimal ex- respect is right, good enough right. for me. Um, yeah. Then I'll engage with you. But yeah. in this with this kind of disrespect, I'm not interested in engaging with that. Yeah, it's not yeah. gonna work for me. No, <laughs> it's a no for me, dog. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Well, like here's also, I don't know if this is good or bad, or I don't even know why I came up with this. I don't know if this is something I learned from you or somewhere else, but what's w- worked for me recently, because you know how I am really cautious or I teach money mindset. And so because I grew up in a lower income household and always felt poor, even when I had money, I've been really conscious to raise wealth conscious children or just not lack-minded children, not necessarily money-related, just abundance consciousness. Um, And so like recently what we've done is we sat down this year and we did like family goals of like, what did we all want to achieve this year? And we did like a big meeting at the beginning of the year and we called it our team huddle, like get in now that Audrey's, you know, Audrey's six now. And I feel like we have some buy-in from everyone and logic and desires are being met. And one of our big goals was to buy or start building our dream home, like our house that we want to like live in for the rest of our parenting, you know, young children ages. And the kids got on board with that. Like, yes, we want our own house and 
in this neighborhood and this is how we want it to look or this is how we want it to be. And we also want to go on one big family vacation this year and they want to do it big. They want to go to like Mexico or something. Like I was like, okay, we can go on that. And I said, but here's what we're going to have to not do to get there. You know, and we talked about if we want these things, then maybe we need to do, stop random shopping on, you know, miscellaneous knickknacks at the store, or we need to stop going out to eat as much. And so when we set those goals, when I have to tell them no about something that is financial, about like buying or, you know, consuming something, I reiterate, and my son is like me, very logical. So he's the one I usually explain things to. And he handles it so well um, once he has that explanation. And I go back to, remember our goals? Now, would you really rather have this ice cream right now? Or would you rather have that vacation in Mexico? And so I don't know if this is good or bad, but it's worked. Um, We started doing that like this year. We started making them a part of our goals like a year ago as like a routine. So it's been like two years. But now that we have more really focused, intentional goals with what we want to do with our money, I've just been... I don't know anything to add to that or like take away. Say maybe I shouldn't do that or. Yeah, no, I I think think that's great. And I would make it more tangible. So if you actually had an opportunity like that to say like, we're not going to get this ice cream. This is going into the vacation fund. I would have the jars available and stick that money in there so that visually they can see what they're sacrificing growing toward their goal. Um, The other thing that I like to do is when I'm telling a child, we're not going to buy that. Most people say I can't afford it, which is yeah. absolutely not true. Like that is not true. And that's, you know, you already know this, Yeah. Uh, but like that's the lack consciousness. And so mm-hmm. what I like to say is let me see if like, like how much do you want that? And let, let I'll be willing to help you figure out a way to create the money for that. Yeah. Like, let me help you, you know, let me help you brainstorm how to create the money for that. Now, in your situation, you've kind of got this blanket thing going on. And so, you know, you've got that as a backup. But I think in general for parents, instead of saying, no, I can't afford that or no, you can't have that with with no reason. It's like, huh, I can see you really want that a lot. How, you know, how can you create the money for that? And they're like, you give it to me. (laughs) I'm like, no, I'm not willing to do that, but I'm willing to help you figure out how you could create money to buy that thing. Oh my God, I love that. And I had had a thing with my kids growing up, and we'll tell you about this, that anything that they, because I wanted them to get their dreams too. So anything that you want, if you create half the money for it, I'll kick in the other half. And, you know, because that really motivates them. And at one point she wanted a kayak. That was like 400 bucks or something. How am I going to come up with half of that? But she, it was on her to come up with the first half. Um, And she got to a place where I don't think she was interested or willing to put that much effort in. And so it went away, but not because of me. Like it was her choice. That dream wasn't an eight plus energy for her. So that's the other thing to talk about to them is when you have a dream or something you want, how much do you really want it? Especially with teenagers that are so. Yeah. You know, like I want it right now, but if you talk to them in five days, they don't care about it anymore. And so you can't be, oh, you run after all that stuff with it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a thing with the teenagers workshop, like anything that they want that's a big decision, you ask them to wait 30 days. And you, so you're yeah. not doing these impulsive teenage things. And yep. in that process, 
maybe it's something that is they're passionate about and sustain and it sustains and you you know you get to 30 days and get it most of them fall by the wayside and it's like oh man i saved so much money not going after these <laughs> impulse buys constantly yep. Well, where I'm struggling with that now is I have a teenager now with her own job, her own debit card, her own money and an Amazon account. And but I'm that, like, that's like, that's none of your business, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's none of my business in my head. I, I've said nothing, but in my head, I'm, sitting on the, I'm like, and that's why every time you get your paycheck, uh, the money's gone. Okay. Got it. <laughs> well, and that, I mean, that's where I think for people to start young and with the, you know, I, I encourage parents to start with chores and allowances early that are not connected. So every kid has to have a chore that they do for the family and they don't get paid for it. Like this is your contribution to the family. You have to do this regardless. Love that. And every kid should have a bare minimal allowance. So you get a quarter or a buck and you don't have to do anything for it and, and never using that for discipline. And I think that's, that's that's where we get mucked up because it's like, you're part of this family. So you get to share in the wealth of the family. And I always base the allowance on my wealth. Like if I had enough money, it might be five bucks or 10 bucks. But if I was low on money, it'd be a quarter, you know, and because they're sharing the wealth and it's a tangible way of saying you belong and you're, you know, you're part of this family, you're sharing in the wealth of this family. Those two things are separate. So it's, it's a challenge for most parents because we want to take away that allowance if they don't do their chore and pay it, you know, so yeah. We keep those up separate. And then if you, if they want to earn extra money, we always had a list of extra chores you can do and how much. Yeah, we have that. And, and I had like, it was a great discipline tool because if they wanted to earn extra money, they had to do their bare minimal contribution first. Like you can't right. earn extra money vacuuming if you haven't done your room. Like they're, they're yeah. making their, I think it was making their bed and one family chore might've been like what their bare minimal not get paid for thing was. So they yeah. had to do that first before they could do extra. And you I just give that. them this money. Don't take it away. Don't threaten them. Don't like you get this no matter what. You are a shithead all week. And here's your quarter. <laughs> <laughs> You're still loved. You're still part it's of the family. inflation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So that is so good. I love that. I've learned so much already just in this call. <clears throat> I think where probably a lot of parents are confused about like maybe the chore thing is this is my thought is I'm sure there's a Googleable list somewhere, but like what age can I, or, you know, at a five-year-old, like what can I give a five-year-old to do? <laughs> well, to I mean, like, Bree's got it. Yeah. Bree's got it down. She's got, um, they empty the dishwasher. So the, the nine-year-old um, empties all the dishes and the six-year-old empties the silverware and it's actually transitioning now to where the baby's doing the silverware. And so I don't know, I don't know how I know it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, they absolutely can have chores, age appropriate chores. The two-year-old is capable. The two-year-old is capable of doing something and, and giving them that makes them feel powerful. It makes them feel part of the family. It's important that kids do stuff and it's important that we keep it fun and that they're contributing and and that we appreciate them. I think so often, you know, when parents just make the kids the little worker bees without any appreciation, that's when they get discouraged early on. And then when they're a teenager, they don't want to do anything because they, you know, they feel like we've, we've just taken advantage of them and we don't, we don't really appreciate them and we don't, 
you know, we're just using them or whatever. So it's important to keep their spirit of contribution early on by acknowledging them a lot. And then when they're teenagers, they're still going to complain, but they'll be willing to do it. And that's the, that's the important part is I don't care if they complain. It's, are they willing to do it or not? Yeah. Yeah. We have, Jocelyn's really good with keeping up with her chores. Um, I mean, there are nights when volleyball just gets in the way and she has to do it later than usual, but she always gets it done and she doesn't like it half the time, but she doesn't really bitch about it anymore. She's like, you know, like she. Kids need to have purpose. Like when we, a hundred plus years ago, we lived on farms, kids had to work like to make the whole thing go. And they they don't have that purpose anymore. We really do have to generate it in our homes by making, you know, having them do stuff. And it's good for them. It's good for their soul. It's good for their, you know, work ethic in the future. And they should not have everything done with them. And it doesn't matter how wealthy you are. Like that kids need to work and they need to have a, you know, a contribution to their family and they need to be acknowledged for that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. Yes, 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 yes. All (laughs) the things. Okay. Final question, because I know if you are listening and you have younger kids, what's the best way to handle meltdowns when they're in fight or flight when they're in fight or flight like you're in public or you're at home and they're just like screaming and losing their I'm talking like zero to five zero to six you know like the younger kids that are just melting down and you want it to stop but a lot of times we have to allow them to go through their process so how what's the best way to go about helping a child that is melting down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's no positive parenting answer for this. So you, you have to survive it and keep them safe and keep yourself sane. Um, make sure that they don't hurt themselves. So the best positive parenting is to prevent them and to also look for patterns and to um, work on what leads up to that point. What's, you know, what's causing them to go to that. There's actually seven different reasons that kids tantrum. Let me go through this in my class. So there's, there's different levels of tantruming and some of them are behavioral. Some of them are because kids are, you know, the sensory the, that are sensitive to things that'll cause meltdowns. Yeah. Those kids are also usually very emotionally sensitive. So there's emotional things that can cause them to meltdown. So you have to know, like your kid's different tantrum and the purpose. And then that gives you a better indication of what to do about it. But really, I mean, once it's at meltdown level, you keep them sane. I had a couple one time that took my class and they were, um, I don't know, we were like midway through and they said they were down at the harbor and their kid just dropped. I think she was a four-year-old, just dropped in the middle of the concrete, like biggest meltdown ever. And there, she's screaming and, you know, whatever. And the two parents, my husband and wife, they just kind of backed up like it wasn't their kid. <laughs> and, the, and the mom says, I better get this one. <laughs> right. What do we do about this? Because they're in the class. They're trying to figure it out. Right. And the, and the dad's like, I don't know. What do you think we should do? And she's like, I don't know. And so they're just sitting there commiserating with each other, leaning on each other, supporting each other you know, watching her to make sure she doesn't hurt herself, but really writing it out. And without them inflaming it by, like you said, you know, we get in this thing, oh, I'm in public and I've got to do something. You know, a kid in a, in a meltdown, the adrenaline and all the, you know, they're, they're in their basic brain. There really is, there's nothing you can do, but attempt to comfort them and survive through them calming themselves down. I like to know the child, like with little Remy, if he has a meltdown, 
if you come too close, it's going to escalate it. (laughs) He doesn't want to be touched. He doesn't want, you know, doesn't want you to move anything. But if you leave too far, that's going to escalate it. So staying present, I feel like the regulation's important. So seeing if you can breathe with them um, and just standing vigil. I mean, that's that's my um, highest level of providing support to a meltdowning child. And, you know, me not meltdowning too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of parents deal with it the way that I was, I think, dealt with it. And maybe this is not the best way. And I think it was just go to your room. And I don't like or we're taught, you know, we're passed down, like just how you, I love hearing how you used to spank or you were taught to spank because you don't do that anymore. Or, you know, you switched your philosophy on that. And a lot of people have very strong beliefs on whether to do this or to do that. And I know it was like, go to your room. And I know a lot of people that say, just go to your room. And what are, is that like, should we not do that? Like, is there a better way? (laughs) Like if they're melting down and they're. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So again, this goes back to the, the, reason that they're tantruming. So sending a child to their room, there's something that I teach, which is called mistaken goal. So when kids are misbehaving, it's because they have a need that's not being met. And if we can, if we can figure out what their need is, then we can usually help redirect the behavior. And so we break out behavior into four specific goals, attention, power, revenge, and avoidance. Okay. So if a child is in the goal of avoidance when they're in a meltdown or revenge, even maybe ascending to their room could be beneficial and helpful. They, the goal, the goal in alone time or (coughs) avoidance, the positive form of that goal is alone time. They need to go recharge their batteries and figure stuff out. Right. Revenge. They're feeling hurt. Like they want to hurt us back and they're showing us how they feel hurt you know, some time alone to chill and realize everybody's not out to get them will be good. If they're in the goal of power, sending them to their room is absolutely contraindicated because now you're forcing them, you're, you're stripping their power away even more. And they're, they're like, oh, now I can't even control anything and they're going to melt down worse. So it depends, you know, like that. And I think that's with most things in parenting, you can't just say a tool is good or bad. Yeah. You know, it depends on the yeah. context. Although I would say, I don't think that you ever have to spank. Like there's always a better alternative than spanking and, and doing something like physically with my yeah. size, you know? No, I'm, I just, I'm anti, I think I got spanked like once or twice. Like I was never really spanked as a kid. Like my mom did it a few, like two or three times ever. And I remember being super traumatized by it and being like, Right. What the hell, mom? And and so I don't spank. We've never been spankers, but I know that everyone is taught different things growing up and they just never, I think it's just because we didn't learn other ways to cope or right. healthier yeah. ways to cope that really get better outcomes. Right. Like you're getting more of what you want by like, I don't yell. I don't spank and not to like claim to be like the God of parenting or anything, but I feel like in the last three years since I've known you and been listening to your work, I've gotten really good at this damn parenting thing. Like <laughs> that I is mean, one of I my think- biggest things. I'm really proud that I'm a good mom. And I didn't believe that about my, I always said, oh yeah, I'm a good mom. But like, I really believe it in my soul now. Right. And I think and- for me, that's the most important 
thing that we provide for ourselves is enough education and tools that we can feel like I'm doing good enough. You know, mm-hmm. raising my kids. I had a, I had an epiphany once my kids were grown and I was, I was actually at a Vipassana. It's a, a silent meditation for 11 days. Um, <laughs> and I was, um, I just had this moment where I realized like that was my magnum opus was raising those kids, mm-hmm. like through all kinds of adversity and this and that. And like, there's nothing that can top that. It was super important work. And yeah. I gave it my all. And I think for all of us, I, I want for all parents to not look back and regret. I, I wish I would have spent more time or I wish I would have looked into that parenting class or I wish I would have you know, done something different. I mean, of course, there's things that I could have done differently, but I don't have that as a regret because I really tried really hard. I mean, I really put a lot of my soul into how to parent these kids and what to do and, you know, trying to do my best. And I think that's super important that, you know, if you don't, if you're not in that place of feeling like I'm a good enough mom, then seek out, you know, support groups or classes or something that can help you get to that space. Because I want my kids to see a mom that feels good about herself. I don't want yeah. my kids to see a mom that's beating herself up because they're going to take that on. Mm-hmm. And well, what, what I've also done in the last few years since knowing you, and I probably didn't do it before, is I've allowed myself to apologize to my kids when I mess up and like letting them see my process of like, oops, I missed the mark on that. Like, I'm sorry, bud. Or I'm sorry. You know, like, here's what I can do better next time. Or here's what I can promise you is this is what I've learned this. And just like, if you treat them like humans. <laughs> right. Right. Like, and, yep. And I, I mean, I think that is one of the most important things that we can role model is being willing to say, I'm sorry, or I apologize because that's humanity. Like that's human and that's real. And they do respond with respect. See, parents are afraid of apologizing because they think it means their kids will walk all over them. And no, it's the exact opposite. They'll actually have way more respect for you if you are at integrity with your behavior. Like, is your behavior what you intend it to be? And if you don't, if you don't behave towards your children in the way that you intend, you need to apologize for it and do better. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't mean you can just mess up every day and scream and yell at them and then say, sorry, you know, you have to improve. You have to um, keep making yourself better, but yeah, that's a, it's a great quality to have. Well, my parents, and here's what I realized. My parents were great. They had their struggles. They made mistakes just like every other parent, but where my biggest like fallout with my parents was when I became an adult and I started to find out things that they had done or mistakes that they had made in their past that were hidden from me Mm. or that they wouldn't own or apologize for that they later then owned or apologized for. It was like, because I saw them as perfect and I didn't see their human. I had put them on this pedestal when I found out that they had trauma and they had life things that happened and they made mistakes. And I was like, oh my God, you're not perfect. I feel like my world was shattered. Like, you know, they say never meet your celebrities or something, never meet meet your heroes because then you'll realize they're human. I had put my parents on this pedestal of like, 
I don't know what. And and I make sure now with my kids that I don't have a pedestal of like, look, mommy makes mistakes. Um, and I mean, I'm who, sorry. Who better for them, for us to learn from about the hard knocks of life than our own parents. And so age appropriately, yes, to share that information. And I know with my kids, it was super beneficial, you know, sharing the things that I'd done. They're like, we would never do that. Like, <laughs> You know, I yeah. think it it moderated their teenage years and their experimentation because I was right. forthcoming again, age appropriately and experience appropriately. Like if they're right. facing something, like I wouldn't talk about drinking until they're actually facing those behaviors, and right. then I then I would talk about it or you know whatever the thing might be. And so yeah. I just think, yeah, trying to be. I know my mom preached um, abstinence before. After, yeah, before marriage or whatever that is. And, um, and like, you can't have sex until you're married. Okay, right, fine, whatever. And she preached that. And all four of us, my myself and my three brothers all had kids out of wedlock. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, it doesn't matter what you preach. I'm like, yeah, the preaching is not going to work here. <laughs> no, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. Yeah. And I don't like one of my biggest, like, I guess, pride moments or swallowing my pride was I, when Jocelyn came to live with me full time, she had a falling out with her dad. She was like 13 at the time. And I think around age 14, about a year in where she had started her own process of healing from that. And I started to kind of help her understand the breakdown between her dad and I, and you know, what had happened, you know, trying to explain and articulate abuse from a kid who's just survived it while also not throwing her dad under the bus because she loves her dad is is a very fine balance. But what I did is I put on the table every mistake that I had made in her childhood leading up to that moment. Here's what I did wrong when I was 21. Or here's what I really did wrong for this six month period. Or here's what I really did wrong. I, me- I messed this up. Or I should have been there for that school luncheon and I wasn't. Or I was too busy with my corporate job and chasing my corporate career to take time off to come be at your recital. I don't know. Like whatever mistakes that I had made, I listed them all out for her. And I said, I'm sorry. I wasn't the best mom to you I could have been, but that is not the mom that you have today. And so here's, you know, like, and my kid and I are like this. And and she posted something the other day that was like, I would have, I don't think I would have ever said that about, I would say that about my mom now, but I would never have said that as a kid. Right. Or as a teenager. Yeah. Teenager, like happy international women's day to the, the best woman on the planet or the most wonderful woman I know my mom. And she tagged me in that post. And I was like, (laughs) I would have never said that about my mom as a kid. We fought all the time. And like my kid and I don't really fight. Like not that we don't have occasional disagreements, but yeah. And you're a big part of that. So I have to say, thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Like we have a really great relationship and I owe it. I, I literally always talk about you in that moment and that breakdown. I feel like was a God send. Jocelyn was meant to break down at that party at that moment with you there. And, and your mom, yeah. your mom was super, super. And my mom too. Yeah. 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 It was, it was <clears throat> a great moment and it changed the course of my parenting journey forever. So thank you, Debbie, for being <laughs> here. Can you talk about what you have available and where they can find you right now? Yeah. So I have, um, my website's positiveparenting.com. Easy to remember. (laughs) And I have online self-directed classes. So you pay $79 and you have access to the, um, the curriculum and you just listen to the lessons and follow along and do the homework, which is stuff you do with your kids 
and um, yeah, you can transform your relationship with your kids. I also do have a podcast as well. It's the Positive yeah. Parenting Pep Talks. And so there's about 200 and something past ones that are three to five minutes just on different topics. So you can just scroll okay. through with whatever you need. Lately, I've been posting old Q&A sessions. So I'm picking mm -hmm. like parents, um, cute question and answers on yeah. some of the older classes about different topics. And so they're, they're a little longer now, the ones I've been posting lately. Um, I don't do interviews. I don't talk live. I just, I like, I like interaction with, with yeah. people. So that's kind of what I'm doing on that podcast. So it's just something you can scroll through and pick whatever topics sound like something that might be helpful to you in the moment. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I love you. I appreciate you. My family loves you. <laughs> guys, please go check out her classes. They are going to save you so much time, frustration, and really help you build a beautiful relationship with your kids. I say, while well, helping me not lose my shit on my kids. So <laughs> thank you for that. I'm a better parent because of you. Um, and you guys go find her, follow her, tag us if you found this episode helpful and share this with a friend. If you know anybody that could use some positive parenting tips in their world. I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and I will slay you again later. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You guys, please remember to go download all the new episodes all at once. And once you have done that, fill out the form in the link in our show notes, and we are going to send you a little slay goodie bag. That's right. For free. The first 100 people to leave a review and download all these episodes is going to get a pop socket and a little gift from me. A little surprise. I can't tell you what it is yet. Shipped to you. Everyone in the United States that does this, we are shipping it out for free. So I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And if you feel called and want an extra entry into a giveaway for a hundred dollar gift card, please tag us on social media and you can tag me at the Slay Coach and Jamie Jocelyn King and the Slay School. Either one will enter you into an hundred dollar Amazon gift card and we appreciate you so much for listening and I will slay you again later.